It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is on campus in South Carolina. We're at Clemson. University, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. All right. Thank you so much for that awesome round of applause. That was very aggressive, and I appreciate it. And we have our guest with us to talk about community service here at Clemson, what the student body is doing to make this planet a better place. It's Zach Roberts. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. What group are you with? I'm with Sigma Nu here at Clemson. Sigma Nu National Fraternity on campus here at Clemson University. What do you guys do at Sigma Nu to, I guess, raise fund funding or awareness for what cause? We have a really unique philanthropy. It's called uh, Game Ball Run, and our proceeds benefit Coach Dabo Sweeney's All-In Foundation, and we run the game ball that's used for the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry every year between Clemson and Columbia, depending on where the game is. And we get sponsors, and we even started a sorority competition to kind of raise awareness on campus this year, so it's getting bigger. And Coach Dabo Sweeney also like ran the ball with us this year for the first three miles, so it was pretty cool, him and his wife. So That is cool. How, how many years have, have you done that? It's been going on since 1980, and we partner with South Carolina, and we meet them halfway in Greenwood, South Carolina, in a huddle house at like 3 in the morning because <laughs> it takes a while. It's like 70 miles for each chapter, but, yeah, it's been going on since 1980. So it's 140 miles to Columbia, where the University of South Carolina is, and we're in Clemson, South Carolina, at Clemson University. So your chapter meets them 35 miles out at a huddle house, gets the game ball, and you run it back. Yeah, about 70, yeah. So, I mean, we, we ran it there this year since the game was in Columbia. But, yeah, next year we'll run it back. When you ran to the huddle house and handed the ball off, did you have to turn around and run home or did you get a ride? No, we have a bus that follows us <laughs> and we have a police escort. I didn't actually run it that much this year because I was in charge of it. But uh, watched a lot of other people run. I ran, I think I ran seven miles the year I did it. And uh, one of my pledge brothers actually ran like 14, so... That's great. And then, so next year, it will come to Clemson. So you'll meet them at the Huddle House, get the ball, and then you'll run it back to your home campus, correct? Yeah, and then we have like a celebration this year. We had a, a kickoff celebration next year. It'll be a, I guess, receiving the ball here in Clemson celebration before we is it beat the Gamecocks. I'm sorry, is it timed out to get the ball into the stadium like right at noon for kickoff, or do you bring it in the night before? Well, no, we, uh, we do it the week before generally because Thanksgiving break, everybody's gone. So we normally do it a, a week before. The, the game instead of like right before the game. But they announce it at the game and do a little on-field thing and talk about how much money we've raised. Very cool. Anybody fumble? No, not really. You hold on to it. Hold yeah. it tight. Okay. Anybody try to tackle you? No. I'm no. going to go next year. I'm going to take you out. That'd be great. Clothesline you. We'd love to have you there. I mean, it's football, right? That's correct. It's Clemson football. All right. Well, Zach, I can't thank you enough for uh, bringing that story up. I, that's a great story. And I'm sure we can follow it. Our listeners can follow it on maybe a Facebook page or if you Google, what's the title of it? Clemson football yeah, run, Sigma yeah. Nu? Sigma Nu game ball run. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and you can even find us on uh, Coach Sweeney's All In Foundation page too. That's fantastic. Let's have a round of applause for Zach and everybody here at Clemson University. Thank you so much for hosting the Adam Rich Show.
fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. The show continues in Wichita Falls, Texas. I'm with the head coach of the Midwestern State University football team. This is Bill Maskell. Hi, Bill. How are you? Good, good, Adam. Appreciate you being here. It's always a pleasure to be down here in, in God's country, Wichita Falls, Texas. And, uh, and I love hanging out with football coaches to get your take on some social issues like uh, fatherhood, uh, character, integrity. Um, and let's start with that. Then we'll move on to what you guys do uh, here with the team with community service and, and how you uh, work together with, I guess, your fans in Wichita Falls. I'm sorry, not Wichita. That's another state, right? Uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, to... Um, to make this place better, you were telling me off mic about the the water shortage. I can't wait to find more about that in a second. But uh, first of all, you're a dad, aren't you? Uh, yes, father of two. Got a 29-year-old daughter getting married this summer and a 33-year-old son. You know, I, I think we, we emphasize, uh, I probably didn't go to it in great detail tonight, but every time that there's a uh, an issue, I didn't know about Kurt Rambis, but I mean, that, that we, we try to bring that up to our players on a daily basis whether it's the Ray Rice thing or whether it's marijuana or whether it's drunk driving. You know, we had a kid got T-boned here back in, gosh, 08 maybe, eight years ago, and he's still going to college. It's taken six hours a semester, and it's taken him eight years to graduate. And we try to bring those things out in front of our players because you're right. These kids, it doesn't affect me. I, you know, I'm not part of it, so it's no big deal. But I think we constantly talk about that, and not only do I do it, but our coaches do it in their own individual meetings. And um, whether it's date rape or uh, you know how to treat a woman, uh, you know fatherhood, you know I, I probably of the hundred kids that were here, we probably have 25 kids or more that have that are fathers. Some of them take that serious, some of them don't. 25 players on your team are well, already fathers. I'm guessing, yeah. Really, I'm guessing. Yeah. That you know what I I wouldn't have guessed that is that a normal number for a for a 100 man college football roster that may or that may be high that might be high I don't know but I just there's a number of them that uh, that, that that are fathers and yeah. well let me ask you um, knowing that now I mean how are how are they handling being student athletes college students and being fathers i mean are well, they pulling we, it off well we've got one kid that, that dropped out this spring because his girlfriend's pregnant and they're going to have the child and, and i went through with him to back in his hometown about going to the pregnancy help center and how to go get some some uh counseling and and what to do and how to do it and he he's here and she's back there and it's four or five hour trip away and he, his mom wanted him to stay with us, and he wants to come back in the fall, but I don't think he'll make it. He's just, you know, he's he's working a job, and, you know, he's he's overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And if they'll come to us, and we, we generally can counsel, and if they don't want to listen to us, we can send them to our counseling department on campus. And But there's just one kid that's, uh, you know, decided that, that he's going to take a leave of absence to try to get his head straight. Um and well, that 25 may be high. Maybe it's 15, 10. Okay. But, I mean, there's there's a number of them, though, I can tell you that. We we had one kid uh, uh, that's still in town, and he, he just found out over the weekend he tore his ACL uh, or uh, playing minor league or playing the arena football. But, I mean, he had three kids while he was, you know, one in high school and then two more here. And then I think his girlfriend he's with now has got 
they've got three children. I mean, yeah. to me, that's, that, you know, we try to counsel. We try to give them uh, advice and, and what direction they should go, but uh, sometimes they, they, you know, they, they don't listen as well as you'd like for them to. I think that's important that uh, you're really kind of a role model, a mentor. I mean, you're their coach uh, every day, and uh, you all, they also know you have children and that are grown now, um, so they can look to you for advice on, on being a father. Well, I don't know that they, they do, uh, and, I, and I think so many times that these kids are, you know, the, 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 the children are not necessarily here. They're, they're back home, and, uh, and not all the times are they responsible, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes they, they are and sometimes they're not. Um, but I think the, the, the best thing that we can do is just is help them grow and, and mature through the situation. Well, tell me about, we're speaking with Bill Maskell, the head coach at Midwestern State University Football. Tell me about your kids. They're tw- how old are they now? 29 and what? 29 and 33. So you're done. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. uh, you're, you're, <laughs> your days of fathering are over, but they're not. So, you, you know, you're still the patriarch of the family. Grandkids on the way, maybe? No, no. My wife, um, my daughter's just getting married, 29 years okay. old. And so we're, yeah, she's breaking the bank right now as we speak. Give me, uh, for our young, <laughs> breaking the bank, for our, uh, uh, young listeners out there who maybe just got married, maybe just found out they're going to have a baby, um, that haven't become a father yet, what's your best advice for, uh, for fatherhood? The best advice for fatherhood uh, that I would give my children would be you, you better be dedicated to your wife or husband because it, all the freedom that you had and all the space that you had it is no longer there. And I, I can remember vividly, you know, our, our, our oldest hunter uh, was born in July the, July the 8th, uh, 82. And we're big boaters. We're big lake people. And that whole summer, we, we, done, we did not. And it just uh, it, it was a big adjustment because in coaching, you, you, that's all you got is your summers. Uh-huh. And, and as soon as uh, now it's, you know, we get – july 1st comes back or july 10th you're you're right back in the middle of it and and you go like crazy like we are now until until uh the end of end of or middle of june and take a couple three weeks off and and now we can go do all that boating stuff but i, I when that happened i just i mean it was we we, we missed we missed the whole summer <laughs> and that was a big adjustment because that's the only time we had off so i would say be ready to to lose your freedom and space in in terms of uh things that you want to do you're gonna to have to give them up turning our uh, attentions towards uh the community of wichita falls texas where uh, the campus is nestled uh, what do your guys do we talked to one of your players earlier about their work with the boys and girls club uh what are some of the focuses you have as head coach in the community well you know the straight street is what what robert didn't talk to you about is that that's uh for uh underprivileged at-risk kids and so you know, if we got kids that uh, we go down there and volunteer, and we also take our kids that need community service to, to go down and, and, and be there. And we've taken our whole team down there at times. And actually, uh, one of our players, mother, is the, is the director of, of it. And it's, it's like uh, Boys and Girls Club. And, they, and our kids go down there, and we play ball with them. We play games with them. And, and then they come to our practices, and they come to our games. And... And like you said, they, those people look up to, to athletes, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it is. And 
and some of our kids will get more involved than others, but uh, that's been a good thing for us. One of the neatest things I thought we did last spring, and we always have a great day of service on campus where all of the teams are involved in doing something, and that that is usually spring game type. But we took our entire team down to uh, Meals on Wheels, and coaches, uh, everybody, and we prepared 2,000 meals for the week. And it was really cool. I mean, we did it for three or four hours, and our, our kids just really – we started, I think, about 8 o'clock in the morning and went to about 11 or 12, and and I know I was doing pudding, and I was taking a scoop of pudding, putting it in a little – little dish and put uh, aluminum, uh, aluminum foil over it or saran wrap. And There's no that way they were going to put an offensive lineman on pudding. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I think that's that's really good. And I, I think that our kids, when we go, uh, Coach Page does a great job, uh, who's, our, who's our community service uh, guy. And uh, we get our kids go, uh, they go read every Friday that we're home. And... And you know, be just pretty much. It's always the same kids, and mm-hmm. um, there's some kids that just enjoy being around younger kids, and then there's others that really aren't too excited about doing it. So when we try to, uh, we haven't done this recently, but uh, we we've gone to the boys and girls club all around town, and, and we divide up into our teams, and and we'd go and spend a couple hours with after school with with all, with all those different kids. And actually, my wife and I have a. Uh, Bill and Mary Helen Maskell Family Foundation that we uh, started with our uh, women's football clinic, and and we still don't charge for it, but we we, we probably make about a thousand dollars a year, and we put that into the community foundation, and then for the last two years we purchased all of the boys and girls clubs. Uh, football uniforms that is fantastic so uh you know that's something just to give back you know yeah. and, and uh actually when we did it the first time they said somebody in the community or maybe in, in the university said why is bill maskell having having the funds go into the bill maskell family foundation <laughs> <laughs> and i said well that really is not uh foundation for the family it's foundation for the for the uh community and uh that's been a, a fun thing to do um well, tell me, uh, for our listeners that want to help, uh, does the Bill and Mary Maskell Foundation take donations? Is there a oh, website yeah. where you can go do- donate money? You know, there probably isn't. I mean, they just uh, they just have that one night that we do it where we, we get about 150, 200 women come in, and uh, we get somebody to donate uh, the meal, and then we have door prizes, and, and we have speakers, and so on and so forth, and... And at the end of the night, they just said, if you want to help. And then, I mean, the guy, the girls are, they're all girls and our coaches. And they're, I think, like I said, I think we probably made about $1,000. That's, That's old school. That's the old way to, to raise money. Maybe yeah. ask one of your players to help you set up a GoFundMe page for the Bill and Mary yeah. Maskell Foundation. And then uh, people can go to that website, find your name, find your foundation, and donate money through the Internet. You know what? Have you heard of the internet, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that tonight. Yes, I do. The first time. The uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Well, that's a good idea. We've never thought about that. And my wife does all that. Well, you know what? I, uh, I'll consult you on that later. I'm a yeah. social media internet consultant. I'll tell you about that later. Our guest is Bill Maskell, the head coach at Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas. And uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about uh, an initiative um, your whole town had with the drought recently. You were telling me about a drought, and we support uh, Mother Earth and being green. Um, tell us about that drought and, and some sort of... Um, well, what 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 was uh, Wichita Falls known for? Like the uh, hotter than hell, hundred, uh, <laughs> hundred degree weather. It's colder and it's colder than hell in the winter, and it's hotter than hell in the summer. Um, we had a drought from 2010 till the summer of 2015, and it restrictions on water all over. And and each week or each month, uh, as, as we get less and less rain, they put more restrictions on you, and we finally. Uh, we, we couldn't water our lawns. People went out and bought uh, big tanks and had water brought in for their pools. And, and people were taking, uh, we got a big tank at the house that, that, that we used to filter in for our pool. But um, so the, the community um, purchased a recycling system where they took all of the used water, shower water, uh, restroom water, and they put that through a major recycling, and and put it back into, into the, uh, the the regular water lines, and uh, it was uh, a shock, uh, thinking that you're going to be drinking sewer water. But it, they said that by the time that they went through all the process, and they spent all kinds of money to to get the filtration to do that, um, and that our our community was that way for probably three and a half of those five years and uh, again just to reiterate for the listener that just wasn't quite paying attention during that the drought was so bad this community had to recycle the sewage water recycle sewage to become the city's you know usable drinking water that's correct you drank sewer water so you drank sewage <laughs> we drank sewer water after it was uh Reflourished, I guess. If you did, it taste? Uh, did you taste? Put down the glass and say, "This tastes like." You didn't say that, did you? <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I want to say I cheated a little bit. I drank the bottled water. You my, drove my, across my, the state my, line to get some bottled water, didn't you? My, my wife drank the uh, water out of the tap. So, um, I, you know, they, they, they showed us all the tests that, that they had done. Well, I believe with science and technology, it probably was cleaner than a, a bottle of water from Canada. Uh, and, and I think what uh, the other communities that are having the same kind of problems yeah. have called our community uh, uh, people that do that. And, and we, were, we made national news uh, for, for, for doing that. Well, so. that's the ultimate recycling and uh, we support recycling and Mother Earth and being green. And, and during that, I guess, drought, what would you say in the Maskell household, what was the one thing you did and your family did to help conserve water? Well, I think it, you had no choice because if you went over so many cubic feet of water, you were billed at a higher rate. And, and so, I mean, one of the things that I like to do when I'm shaving is keep my hot water running. And so to conserve water... Uh, we, we, I turned the, turned the hot water off every time I was taking my razor to get, uh, mm -hmm. as I was shaving, I turned it off and then turned it back on to take the, uh, the, uh, shaving cream off. The other thing we did is we took, uh, 
in the shower, we put buckets in the shower to whatever water that you that's going down the drain that coming from the shower, we took that and we watered our plants out front. So, I mean, I think everybody got creative because we were in our, our fields were uh, our practice fields were just miserable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for five years and and we had well water, but it was salt water. And then they had to buy a, a system to, to you know filter that salt out. And but by that time, as I can remember, our coaches, uh, we all had a night one day a week. We were going out there watering the field for an hour mm-hmm. with uh, water hoses, not like not like not like the ones you see at our house, but the fire hoses. And it was it didn't help any. I mean, because when you got 100 degree weather, you put that water in. We got sand based fields. It just ate it up. So, I mean, we were, this whole community was, was shot. Well, that's great to hear about your creativity to recycle your water. Uh, I want to thank you for your hospitality here on campus at Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, I want to thank our affiliates here in Wichita Falls, the ESPN uh, channel, as well as Bob FM carrying the Adam Rich Show. And uh, Coach Maskell had a lot to do with that. You, ha- you have a show yourself on, on those stations, don't well, you? Well, we, we started Bob FM and then... Uh, um, then the, the owner of Bob FM uh, purchased 95.5, the uh, ESPN uh, network, and he he and a couple other uh, partners have done that. And um, Dan, uh, what's Dan's last Bala. name? Bala. Bala, yeah, Bala. Is that uh, you? We had talked last time you were here, and and I had told Dan your story, and I said I think this would be a good idea. And he said, well, let me investigate it. And he got online. I said, make sure you. You know, you know everything you need to know mm-hmm. before you decide to make this decision. And and so he did whatever homework he needed to do. And, and you know, yeah. we're celebrating, uh, I think, three or four years on the air with uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, 95.5 ESPN yeah. and Bob FM. So we thank our affiliates. And um, Coach Maskell, I got to thank you for all of your help and for sharing the uh, your family foundation with us. I'll help you get that online to raise even more money for mm-hmm. next time. Thank you for sharing your one thing and how to make this planet a better place as well, and we wish you the best of luck with your football squad. We appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. Doing our best to bring you interesting people from across the country to talk about social awareness and leadership. And our next guest is uh, an expert in the field of generational codes. Can't wait to find out more about that. It's Anna Leota. Hi, Anna. How are you? Great. Glad to be here. Uh, I just heard you speak at a professional athlete conference. Um, do you work with professional athletes, and how do you? Mm-hmm. I do. I actually work with the organizations that support professional athletes and helping them understand what makes each generation tick and what ticks them off. That could be how do we lead and manage them, or how do we attract them to our game, both on the surface and in the seats. Okay, so the um, the terminology that jumped out at me when I heard you speak was generational codes. Uh, I guess tell our listeners, what is that all about? We don't know it, but we're acting and reacting based on a deep, deep resonance of our generational code. What we know is that about age 8 to 18, we're watching the world and we're observing the leaders, the icons, the events, and we're 
absorbing because about age seven, our brains start to make the capacity for logic. So when there's an event and there's an emotion that's paired with it, it creates an imprint. So between eight to 18, we're developing a code, generationally speaking, of how we perceive the world, what we value, who we trust, what inspires us, what motivates us. And for the rest of our life, we don't know it, but it's operating underneath, kind of like an operating system, and it's informing our actions and our reactions and our choices. Now, when did you uh, get into this professionally? Because I, I, it's fascinating about your family. Um, you explained your family life. You're, you're one of like 75,000 kids. Yeah, exactly. So you, you're, you've got this whole generational expertise even before you probably went to first grade. Um, but how did you, I guess, move from uh, such a big family, and again, inform me and our listeners about your family, uh, how many children there were or are, and how that, I guess, transformed into a professional career? It's true. I am one of 19 children. Not 19? 19, truly, truly. And yes, for the listeners, Catholic, for those of you doing the math at yeah. home. And uh, I grew up in a household of six generations. My dad was a GI generation, and I was a Gen Xer, or am a Gen Xer. So I really was curious how he saw the world differently than me. So it was basically a survival mechanism to start understanding what shaped his worldview and what shaped my worldview and where we conflicted. So I began studying it intensely in college and then began my consulting firm and my speaking career about 10 years later and came back to the generational understandings as a way of helping people lead and manage and motivate and sell. Well, the book is uh, called Unlocking Generational Codes. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. Or just a simple Google search can find Unlocking Generational Codes by Anna Leota. Anna is our guest. And um, the thing I find fascinating is just how people communicate um, social media or otherwise. And uh, something you were talking about in my world is uh, know your audience. So with anybody in any field, know your audience. And um, in a world of ad- advertising, know your audience. In, in your, your world, um, know your audience is a, is a generational thing. You may have to tweak how you're trying to get your message across to your end user based on what year they were born. Absolutely. It is no longer sufficient to have one message and think that it will communicate across the generations and how you present it. If you have a millennial that you're trying to communicate to, they're going to want to know how your message is hyper-customized to them to explain their experience. When it comes to nonprofits, millennials don't want to give to a nonprofit to get their name on a wall. Baby boomers did. Baby boomers wanted the status of giving to a nonprofit. Millennials want to join a movement. They want to give $5 right now on demand because their move touched and inspired. But Gen Xers want to give to the bricks and mortar of a nonprofit. They want to get underneath and say, I don't care about my name on the wall. I want to know what will establish this nonprofit being there for the future. And so they each give very differently. So if you're positioning your offer of participation by the code of the baby boomer and you're saying here's the status that you're going to get by giving it completely turns off the gen xer and the millennial thinks that you sound like the adults from charlie brown's world so i guess just to organize it in a timeline the uh, we have baby boomers then gen xers mm-hmm. which i am as well mm-hmm. uh, then millennials mm-hmm. Uh, And what's after that? What's the next generation? So the globals are the next generation after the millennials. They've been called nexters for a few years as Uh they come into their own, but now they're called the globals. And they really look at the world differently. They are completely as connected to kids around the world as they are to kids in their own school, neighborhood, city. They think of themselves as global citizens. People born, what, in 2005 or or after? Absolutely, yeah, 2005 uh, until today. 
And then, uh, so what do you see from your office uh, looking forward? What's that generation born in 2020? What are they going to be called? Let's name them right now and copyright it. <laughs> well, you know, you really can't name a generation until they get into their formative years because then their their essence starts to arise, and that's kind of how we understand what their name is. So you can't pre-name. Like the millennials a long time were called Gen Y because they were that was the next letter in the alphabet. But the essence of the millennial, the new energy of the uh, century, was really what coined their name. Well, before I let you go, um, you're active on Twitter, and it is? It's A-N-N-A-L-I-O-T-T-A, Ana Liotta, at, on Twitter. <laughs> at Ana Liotta. Okay, and I apologize. I think I said Liotta, because I'm a big Goodfellas fan. I like Ray Liotta. So it's Ana Liotta. Ana Liotta, at Ana Liotta on Twitter. And before I let you go, um, you know, you speak at these conferences. You've got this book. You're uh, an expert in your field. People listen uh, to you and care about this subject, uh, how to communicate with different generations. And it seems to me like, don't be rude to this millennial generation, but they, sometimes they just don't get it, uh, whether it's paying attention or listening. Uh, once you and I are gone and forgotten in a hundred years, um, I fear for those generations, I don't know how they're going to get along or communicate or listen or even coexist in a room. Um, I know I'm, I'm putting you in a, um, a weird spot saying, put, put on a, your fortune teller cap and tell me what you see in the future. But, but how is this going to move a uh, hundred years from now in your field? Well, it's such a great insight because every generation thinks the generation after them has some challenges. So you're in good company to worry about the next generation and how they're going to survive. They have always had hyperconnectivity as part of their reality. So millennials and the globals don't think of face-to-face -face as more valuable than virtual connections. So while we say, okay, put the phone down, unplug, look me in the eye, that's a sign of respect. To them, whether they're looking at their phone while talking to you, they're looking up something that answers the question that you just asked them. So for them, they're connecting as closely to you as it would be if they were just looking you in the eye and waiting till later to go pick up their phone. So it's not that they're going to not get along in the world. They're going to adapt to the world as the world is. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.